welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, March 6th, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released September 1st, 2022, and can be now pre-ordered on, on Amazon. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many places. Hello, Peter. Hi. <laughs> Peter, this uh, week on Broadway Radio, Matt Tamanini uh, had a great interview with uh, our friend Robert W. Schneider. Uh-huh. Uh, and you also got over to see um, one of Robert's productions. Uh, we mentioned it last week, A Day in the Hollywood Night in the Ukraine. And uh, tell me what you thought about that. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Um, it's two one-act musicals. The first one's a review. The second one's actually a book musical. And you can tell that Dick Vosberg, who um, wrote it, really watched every Marx Brothers movie and took copious <laughs> notes because the tropes are just amazing. And uh, David Friedman was, uh, David B. Friedman, to be technical, was terrific as Samova the lawyer. Um, who says uh, he'll litigate all over you um, <laughs> in a terrific <laughs> lyric. Um, so uh, he was he was great fun indeed. And um, but the thing was, what was su- such fun knowing that the second act was going to be a Marx Brothers um, show, watching these uh, performers in the first act saying, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to play Chico. Oh, that's interesting, too, by the way. Um, in the If you listen to the original cast album, you'll hear Chico. But these people pronounce it as Chico. But but that's really the correct way, Chico, um, because he, uh, the, the concept was uh, way back then that um, he used to like to chase chicks as they were called in those days so all the people who have called him chico over the years have really been an era it really is chico um and in fact um michael feinstein said to me once um i know that you know your onions because you call him chico so um so anyway uh, if, if you really want to impress your friends uh make sure you say chico anyway um terrific terrific performances um all the way around and i was really delighted beyond belief to see this show again which was originally done by tommy toon but I, I i wish that tommy um could have come to see it maybe he did i don't know but um because i think he would have been very impressed by rob's direction um and in the first act there's a wonderful wonderful clever thing that goes on a song called um famous feet and you only see a tiny part of the stage and you see people dancing but you know who's dancing from the feet because they are famous feet um mm-hmm. uh, certainly mickey and minnie mouse's feet you can tell <laughs> who they are so um so and delightful songs i mean really delightful songs a, a terrific medley um by about richard whiting margaret whiting's daddy by the way if you know who margaret whiting was and um with a delicious song called it all comes out of the piano uh which um really uh, is is tremendous as well so um uh, this company has done two winners in a row they did class act they did this and this week comes baker's what schneider must be exhausted beyond belief doing three in a row like this so but you know when you're young you can do anything and that's um who he is so um so mike cefalo as uh, carlo um that's the uh, chico character uh, was was quite quite fun, and they kept the um, situation of um, having a woman play Harpo, and um, Suzanne Slade um, was terrific in that role too. Um, so 
uh, if you ever get a chance to see the show anywhere, do do because uh, you'll have two deliciously different experiences. And um, but you can only hope uh, you can do it as well as Rob did. I'm glad you cleared cleared that up about Chico because, uh, of course, the, the Chico Marx or Chico Marx, the actual, uh, he performed uh, famously with a very thick Italian accent, for, mm-hmm. you know, a faux oh, yeah. Italian accent. And I guess I used to think that's why he was called Chico. But of course, Chico is is a, a Latin Spanish uh-huh. term, right? Uh-huh. So uh, that <laughs> never really made fully full sense to me. And now you've cleared it up. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Baker's wife coming up this week. Uh, that's what uh, Matt Tamanini talked with uh, Robert W. Schneider about the Baker's wife and the other classic musicals that he's doing it in a special episode that uh, went out to our Patreon listeners on a couple days ago. Uh, and I think it's in the public feed as well. So get over and take a listen to that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to take a listen to that interview. We had a ton of stuff uh, come out this week, but that other voice you just heard was Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. And you can see his photography work at fellowspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. And uh, we have... uh a child of royalty that's going to be at Birdland this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Sam Gravitt, uh, tomorrow night, um, the 7th at 7 p.m. at Birdland. Uh, and it. Uh, let me just read the, the blurb here from their website. Uh, Join Sam Gravitt, currently starring as Fierro in Wicked on Broadway, as he teams up with a quartet of some of New York City's most dynamic young musicians to reinvent some old and new favorites. Led by pianist composer Jake Landau with guitarist Ravi Campbell, bassist Kanoa Mendenhall, and drummer Zach Mullings, Sam will take you on a journey with standards like Why Try to Change Me Now, Sondheim's Finishing the Hat, and more. Uh, Come for an evening of songs and storytelling that will remind you there's nothing quite like a night of live music in the greatest city in the world. And then uh, the little bio blurb is Sam Gravitt is an actor, musician, and writer thrilled to be making his solo show debut at one of New York's most storied jazz clubs, raised by actors Debbie and Bo Gravitt. Sam graduated with a BA in anthropology. Princeton from Princeton (laughs) before formally entering the family business (laughs) Uh, currently starring as Fierro and Wicked. Sam's other credits include almost famous uh, original cast at the Old Globe, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at ACT and Wicked National Tour. Uh, I first met him a few years ago when Debbie, his his fabulous mom, Mm -hmm. performed at NJ Pack. And uh, the whole family, or pretty much the whole family, was there that night, and um, and he was just in tow and just like this quiet, you know, unassuming <laughs> guy. But <laughs> but now he's really um, he's really moving ahead. So I'm really looking forward to that. So, yeah, so I'll have a link uh, to Sam's show in our show notes as well if you want to uh, check that out and catch yeah. up with that. And, and, and a reminder that, uh, that, that, this is the fruits of the trees that were the seeds that were planted during the pandemic when people saved uh, clubs like Birdland. And oh uh, yes, and that th- this is what is coming out of all the all, all the huge support that everyone involved in the Broadway community rallied around these clubs to get them uh, solvent and 
make it through this hard point of uh, during the pandemic. Uh, this week, as I mentioned, uh, Matt Tamanini talked to Robert W. Schneider. We had Jan Simpson's new All the Drama of the I Sing, a 1932 winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, the first musical to win the, dra- the Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, it was available to our Patreon listeners uh, on Saturday and will be available to the public next week. Uh, a new episode of This Week in Theater came out, and uh, Matt and uh, Jennifer McHugh talked with uh, various folks around the nation about when Monica met Sally, uh, when Monica met Hillary, <laughs> and she loves me, and, and the Frozen tour, uh, some other things like that. And then uh, Lauren Klaas Schneider um, also interviewed Matt Ray from The Hangs. So there's tons of stuff in our feed to take a listen to. So first up in our reviews, uh, Peter, you got back over to Tina, the Tina Turner musical, to see a new Tina. Tell us about this. Well, yes. Um, uh, Adrian Warren, who won a Tony, um, left shortly thereafter. And um, a new woman, Nakiki obi Malekuiwi, is um, taking over the role. And what's interesting to me is that uh, Tina Turner said, this is who I want. Uh, to take over the part. Uh, she uh, she had done it in London and she was very impressed with her and said, no, this is the one. Uh, I will say that there is more of a resemblance to Tina Turner uh, with this young woman, a, a very strong faced woman. And my, what a voice. Who I'm, I'm sure that even though there's a greater resemblance to Tina Turner, it really is a case where it had to be this woman because of her voice. Phenomenal, phenomenal um, uh, situation. Now, keep in mind uh, that um, it's such a demanding role that um, there is an alternate, uh, Kayla Davion, who plays on Wednesdays, Saturdays and Sundays matinees. So uh, do keep that in mind. That said, though. It really is in very good shape. You know, this is a show that really has a terrific book. And, um, you know, a lot of people sometimes go to jukebox musicals just to hear the music, and they, they're they waiting for the book to uh, finish and um, get on to the next song. But Katori Hall, who did it with Frank Catala and Keys Prince, really did a very good job in um, making us really wonder how, when things got truly tough for Tina Turner, where she was really had to do a not glamorous at all day job after hitting the heights, um, how she was going to rebound and how that was going to happen is very well detailed. But I'm telling you at the beginning of the second act, you're saying, how can this happen? And whenever that happens in any show, you're really in good shape. So delightful to see one of my favorite performers, Myra Lucretia Taylor, still doing very well as the grandma. Um, Funny, though, there is a scene in the show where the mother dies, but uh, we never see the grandmother died. I don't know if she uh, the mother predeceased the grandmother. One can imply that. Well, infer that, I should say. Um, I apologize. But uh, the thing is, um, I I would like to know what happened to the grandmother. Um, But aside from that, you know, the book is really, really solid. And certainly it was nice to see the audience um, go crazy over the um, numbers that they know so well and enjoy hearing again. But boy, this is a clarion voice, a clarion voice. So our hats are off to the new Tina Turner. So uh, Tangential, unrelated to Tina, the production that you saw, what day of the week did you go to see this? Thursday night. Thursday night. So this was after 
uh, the governor of New York had listed, lifted the mask mandate. Uh, what was it like at the Broadway, uh, at the theater? Well, oh. uh, I I don't think that mandate has been lifted. Um, no, it hasn't been lifted on Broadway. It's been lifted in New York, but the Broadway theaters are still requiring masks. Yeah, um, and apparently there will be through April. I read April thirtieth. I thought. We, uh, yeah, the reason I'm bringing it up is I'm seeing a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, social media posts. I from, see from uh, uh, people that are working in the theaters that are getting pushback from the audiences. I see. Um, there were no incidents. Uh, none whatsoever. What's really interesting, um, um, I, I hope I'm not going to get the ushers in trouble, but um, people were pulling out cell phones and lifting them high in the air and taking uh, pictures and videos like crazy. I would say, huh? uh, I'll tell you, at the end of the show, um, uh, when I was leaving, um, coming up the aisle, I saw at least two dozen people. Uh, taking pictures, but I saw them during the show too. Uh, a few rows in front of me, people were, were doing it. And um, I think that the ushers really have given up that battle. And I understand why um, it, you know, for me, really what's the harm I have to say, um, you know, people want to have an experience, uh, a souvenir of the experience. I'll tell you, I remember going to uh, the grand old Opry uh, in Nashville and boy, uh, it's part of the experience. They, nobody, 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 uh, I would say at least 30% of the audience were taking pictures. Nobody bothered anybody. Um, so <clears throat> to quote that famous line from uh, that Frank Lesser musical, well, really, what's the harm? So um, it's not like people aren't going to buy the album because they have a few minutes. And it's not like they're doing the whole show. It's just every now and then when they think something's memorable, they they pick up the phone. So um Pick up the phone. That's in a different context. Huh? We, used to, we used to say that meaning something else. Anyway, um, so uh, so masks, I, I, I didn't see any issues, but um, yes, a lot of uh, cell phone use. Interesting that uh, a number of years ago, uh, pro uh, Broadway producer Ken Davenport was talking about this inevitable conclusion that that we're at right here where people are taking pictures and things like that and they're they're on their phones uh and ken had set aside uh special seats in the theater in his <laughs> shows for people to do these type of things uh and and here we are a number of years later was uh was mm -hmm. ken clairvoyant or was mm -hmm. it or <laughs> or did he uh, chip away at the uh at the cornerstone of of decency in Broadway. <laughs> well, Ken also brings up another good point, which is the fact that the uh, famous eight performance a week, uh, Wednesday, mm -hmm. you know, Saturday and Sunday, <clears throat> you know, really should be, especially Wednesday matinee, should really be rethought because there was a time, of course, when uh, Wednesday matinees appealed to the housewives who uh, lived here, there and everywhere. And, um, you know, women work, you know, um, they, they, they can't take Wednesday afternoon off. But um, in the old days, that was a treat for women who were, um, were stay-at-homes, and um, now they could get up. But you know, really, it's it's true. The Wednesday matinee, um, it, its usefulness really has to be questioned, and Ken has questioned it many times. Well, I'm going to disagree with the "what's the harm" thing because, go uh, ahead. Aside from everything else, isn't it rather distracting? Oh, well, I guess it could be, but people are so circumspect because they're afraid that they're going to be caught. Um, it was only at the end that I saw them raise high above their heads. And that was during the Kurt call and uh, the uh, encore afterwards. Um, uh, <laughs> as somebody who um, even was written up in the um, New York Post um, 
for uh, castigating people who were standing during uh, Barry Manilow uh, engagement at the St. James. Um, <laughs> that's something that's really a problem when people stand and they won't sit down. But um, I can see what you're saying, Michael. And of course, that's true. Somebody really did raise high, but still people know that uh, they may get in trouble. So, right, so but, if you, but if you're trying to normalize it, then there's going to be more and more. Well, of it, that's fair. Really distracting. That's fair. So you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm not on board with that. Okay, so. that's fair. So, uh, yes, we can look at uh, what's happening now then as a gateway drug. Yes, so, I see your point. Yeah. So yes. Rob uh, Rob Johnson in our chat room brings up that uh, uh, one of Ken Davenport's shows was Godspell at Circle in the Square, and he set aside the back row for this. But Rob points out that it was distracting to him as well. So very interesting. And uh, as well, uh, to be fair, though, Circle in the Square is a very different animal because yeah. you can see, see. Uh, the U shape. Yeah, and also because of the um, the uh, it's more stadium seating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So. And as the as a parent uh, of a child who performs in school shows, <laughs> I, I can't tell you that as soon as the lights go down and the curtain oh, goes up, yeah. you have fifty, sixty, seventy iPads and cell phones stuck mm-hmm. up and blocking your view from the back <laughs> to uh, that stay up there for the entire performance. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I understand parents doing it, you know, so. <laughs> Um. <laughs> and uh, Greg Christensen in our chat room brings up that they have no Wednesday matinees at the Fox in St. Louis. So maybe is that right? Leading ah, the charge there. I see. Leading One of the most the beautiful theaters I have ever been in. Oh. Yeah, oh, mm. the, 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 all of the Fox, Fox theaters. theaters. Yeah, all yeah, the, the one in Atlanta theaters. is pretty, uh, pretty yeah. great too. Yeah, yeah, and you can play baseball in the Fox in Atlanta. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's pretty large. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and in St. Louis too. I was in row J uh, to see Jersey Boys there, and I thought I was in row XXX. So yeah. um, not that it's an X-rated show, but that's another story. That's a whole different Jersey Boys. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so Michael, did you uh, fully charge up your? iPad and bring it over to the Carnegie Hall to uh, videotapes Norm Lewis during the whole performance? <laughs> no, but uh, there was a, an example of bad behavior there, which I'll, I'll get to later. But first, the good news. Um, it was a wonderful concert. Uh, it really, technically, the, a New York Pops concert with Norm as the guest artist, but he, it was a very full program. And he sang almost all of it. There were only two or three numbers that the pops performed by themselves. Um, so Norm was really considering it his, uh, his solo Carnegie Hall debut. And, and, <laughs> and that's really, that's really what it was. Uh, he was our guest on uh, the podcast um, a while ago. I think, wasn't it when his album came out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, he has an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous voice. So it was a pleasure to hear him, all night <laughs> with that sure. fabulous orchestra conducted by Steven Reinecke. The, the um, program was very uh, full and very eclectic, but it really covered all of Norm's career in one way or another. Uh, the opening number was one of the few um, pieces that the pops played by themselves without Norm singing. It was Pinball Wizard from... Ah, <laughs> which was his uh, Broadway debut. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was just in the ensemble. So most people don't don't even remember that. But yeah. And it was great to hear. Um, it was a really great arrangement of Pinball Wizard. Uh, much better than that, um, that arrangement that's on the, that 
symphonic album where Rod Stewart sings it mm. that came out years ago. I, I, you know, I think they, they went a little too far with that, that rearrangement, but this, this was really great and had electric guitar in it and it was fabulous. Um, then the second number was, uh, this is the life from Golden Boy, which uh, Norm did at Encores. Uh, then um, one of my favorite songs of all time, starting here, starting now. Mm. And uh, Richard Maltby was in the audience. Oh, nice. Um, then uh, Norm did You Got Trouble from the Music Man. Because he played <laughs> Harold Hill. Yes, he played Harold Hill at the Kennedy Center not too long ago. And of course, he made a glancing uh, humorous reference to the fact that the show's back on Broadway now with some guy named you mm-hmm. playing the role. <laughs> um, uh, music of the night from Phantom, which was great because oh, I did yeah. not get to see uh, mm-hmm. or hear Norm when he was in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then there, Oh, uh, there was a, the pops did a, a little mini medley of stuff from Les Mis and then Norm performed stars because he had played Javert mm-hmm. uh, on Broadway. Uh, then he then then he sang "Bring Him Home." I don't think he's ever played Valjean. But didn't, he, uh, he, didn't he, he did. do the concert in London? London the the twenty fifth anniversary concert. Oh, may, oh, you know, and he maybe he alluded to that, and I uh-huh. wasn't sure if he was. Uh-huh talking about Valjean or Javert. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, he did a beautiful job with Bring Him Home. Um, then he did I Got Plenty and Nothing from Porky and Bess, and he alluded to the whole controversy with Sondheim's uh-huh. letter about that yeah, revival. Yeah. And actually what he did was um, he performed the way he put it, like the two versions, like the traditional version and then the more contemporary jazzed up futzed around with version uh and i guess he was trying to prove something but it proved the opposite to me <laughs> so anyway that uh, that oh, well. was an interesting moment <laughs> oh well uh and that was the end of act one uh but then uh you know to prove that he still loves sondheim despite all that he uh uh act two opened with a orchestral medley from sweeney todd and then um later Later in um, in in the act, uh, Norm sang. Oh no, I guess he didn't sing anything from from Sweeney. But I had seen him um, mm-hmm. do that role. Yeah, he was uh, terrific. And uh, then he did "Waiting for Life" um, from oh. "Once on This Island," and Lachance was in the audience. So that oh, was fun. Nice. Um, and then he did "The World Above" from "The Little Mermaid," uh, which is the role of Triton that he played um, on Broadway. And poor, and then he did "Poor Unfortunate Souls." <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, listen to how full this program. Yeah, is. really, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, the orchestra played some selections from Superstar. Uh, Norm didn't sing from that, but they talked about how he starred in the uh, TV, the live TV broadcast, which was so excellent. Um, uh, then uh, Norm sang Home from The Wiz, and then he sang Make Them Hear You from Ragtime. And oh. then he sang What's Going On, the, the pop song. Uh, uh, by Marvin Gaye. Uh, and then he ended with a souvenir of when he did Bobby in company, which I saw him do in, in Nyack. He sang being alive. And then the encore was, um, he sang not only acapella, but also unplugged. He started with lift every voice and sing, which is considered, uh, as he put it, the Negro national anthem. And then into uh, then the orchestra joined him and then he sang what the world needs now, 
is love, um, which I always tend to forget is Bacharach and David. I don't know oh, why yeah. I tend to forget hmm. that. Um, and so that was an amazing end to the concert. And it was a great, um, great evening, great audience for the most part, except believe oh. it or not. <laughs> At one point, Norm mentioned that uh, several of his family were there, including his sister. And at that point, somebody screamed out this woman's name twice. And, you know, I mean, that may be shocking enough as it is. But what if I told you that the person who screamed out that person's name twice was somebody who used to have and I guess maybe thinks he still has a career on Broadway. Oh, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, you know, mm. acting like a 12 year old girl, mm. um, you know, is something mm. that that person suddenly wanted to do. But that was <laughs> that was a, a, a very unfortunate moment in an otherwise really wow. amazing, amazing evening. Wow. So uh, a single night of uh, Norm Lewis at the at the Pops. Uh, I'm sorry that um, if you didn't get to see it, you won't get to see it. Any Michael, did you spy any cameras around? Anybody trying to capture this? No, I don't think they have. Um, the Pops has any kind of arrangement for that. And God knows uh, they've done several evenings that I would love to have yeah. seen preserved. Um, but I wonder if they make archival recordings, at least I would imagine they do, but you know, those are hard to, to come by. Uh, we have to look in the program there to see who the, uh, who the sound designer was because, you know, sound designers <laughs> like to capture their thing through the board <laughs> and see uh, <laughs> if anything exists there. <laughs> All right, so uh, next up, Peter, you got to the Keen Company to see The Space Between Us down at Theater 5 on Theater Row. Theater Row. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this was Theater 5 in Theater Row, like a right. multiplex. Right. <laughs> uh, and so tell us what you think about this. Well, uh, don't uh, um, get the impression that because it's in Theater 5 um, that it it on a scale from one to five, one being the highest, that it's a five. No, it's substantially better than that. Peter Gill Sheridan has written a play about a young man, Jamie, who has a very good job. And his parents are very proud of him for having a good job. They're not so proud of him for being gay, and they're not very nice to Ted, his boyfriend. Um, the most indulgent member of the family is his aunt, Pat, sister Pat, because she's a nun. And um, so one would expect that she would be uh, more judgmental than the parents, but she's not. And she's uh, pretty open-minded about it. Um, <clears throat> but even she has questions when he decides to make a tremendous career change. And what he wants to do is go over to Africa and help people you know, who are being uh, subjected to oppressive governments. Now, this is also a problem for the boyfriend, Ted. I mean, after all, they're not going to be together. He can't ask the boyfriend to uh, give up his life and go to um, um, Nairobi. Um, and uh, that would be just too much to ask. And uh, he's not happy about that at all. So um, <clears throat> what happens after that is um, a surprise and a good one, uh, one that uh, really holds water, which is um, very nice. And it's not the sentimental play that you might expect it to be under these circumstances. Very well performed by um, most of the cast under uh, Jonathan Silverstein's direction. Um, he's the uh, artistic director of the company. 
a company that um, started out with a mission, and I don't know how much they're continuing it, though there is something to be said for it for this play, uh, plays that show goodness of heart of people. So um, that's still true here. But anyway, um, I I really very much liked um, Ryan Gabayo as as Jamie. I thought he was really terrific. And Tommy Herlinger, um, very, very good as Ted. So uh, Sister Pat, um, an old pro, Glynis Bell, um, whose bio says has been acting professionally for more years than she cares to remember. And uh, she was actually part of that um, famous acting company that yielded Kevin Klein and Patty Lapone. So, uh, yeah, and she's been around for a while and she's excellent, excellent in this show. Um, I The parents are very good, too. Um, the only one I didn't like was... Um, was uh, Jamie's best friend, Jillian, um, which I thought she was a little over the top. Um, uh, but to be fair, she's sort of written that way. But to the point of which you say, gee, why would why would he want to stay friends with this uh, young woman? Um, she really is quite a pain. She can be sarcastic. She can be cutting. Um, and yeah, I mean, just a little demanding. So I don't, uh, frankly, when he said he was going to Nairobi, I expect him to say, I want to get away from Jillian. Um, no, he didn't. Um, he has far more lofty goals than that. We'll see if indeed those lofty goals bear any fruit. Uh, and uh, so uh, a worthwhile play, this space between us. And I wish it well. All right. So um, I don't have, uh, do I have an end date on this? It's in April sometime. Let's see. April 2nd, it's playing through. Oh, good. And so. uh, yeah, we have a, a link to that in the show notes. So, uh, Michael, you got over to the Metropolitan Opera where you saw Tosca. So uh, tell us what you thought about this production. Oh, yeah. I had seen it in the fall with a, a different cast, and I, but I wanted to go back because I, I love the production, and I actually brought a friend um, uh, for his first time at the opera. He loved it. Uh, so that was that was great. And it was an interesting, uh, a special night for a few reasons. Um, the tenor was Roberto Alagna, who really is, uh, you know, one of the mainstays of opera and of the Met. And uh, he's he's getting on a little bit. I actually haven't checked his age. Uh, so I was a little trepidatious because I hadn't heard him in, in a number of years, but I'm happy to report he still sounded absolutely beautiful as Cavaradossi. And he's got those two fabulous arias, one in the first act and one in the last. And he did great with both of them and got well-deserved ovations. But not only that, um, the leading lady was his wife, oh. uh, Alexandra hmm. Kursak, who actually... Um, I don't go to the opera as much as I used to. And uh, this was the first time I'd ever heard her live. Uh, and actually, really wasn't that aware of her before this. But she was just great as Tosca. And um, you probably won't be surprised to hear that they had incredible chemistry uh, on stage. <laughs> and the acting um, was just about the best you'll ever see. <laughs> um, they seemed so comfortable with each other. Um, and her voice was beautiful and she apparently used to, she started out singing lighter roles and Tosca is uh, very dramatic and a heavier role. And some people were concerned about that, but she was just great. Just great. And the, the acting, as I said, was amazing. The murder scene was gripping and um, 
at the end of the opera, uh, as people who know Tosca know, it ends with um, the tenor being shot by a firing squad. And then uh, after that, the leading lady throwing herself off a roof um, to kill herself. And so Spoilers. A lot. Of, yeah. Spoilers. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon. Just, uh, well, I think the uh, the opera premiered in 1900, so maybe we're. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, yeah. And the the friend I brought said, well, you know, he said I had read the synopsis beforehand, but still, he said when they got to that to the ending, I I was I was really on the edge of my seat. It just. It's an amazing opera with incredible music by Puccini. So, uh, and on top of all of that, um, it was a special night because it was conducted by Yannick Nézé-Zagin, who is the fellow who stepped in on two days notice last week oh, yeah. uh, when uh, at Carnegie Hall when uh, Valery Gergiev was more or less banned uh, from conducting the uh, Vienna Philharmonic at Carnegie because of his support of Putin. Mm. Uh, so uh, I actually thought Yannick would get a big, huge, tremendous ovation when he first came on, but it, it wasn't it wasn't especially big. Uh, I don't know if most of the people in the audience hadn't read the news <laughs> or hadn't, hadn't made the connection, but that was, I, it seemed to me that was front page news, that substitution. So, um, but anyway, uh, at the end of the opera, the, there was quite a lot of uh, applause and cheers and ovations. So uh, it, it was a very, very, very exciting night. So, yeah. Um, I don't, Michael, have you ever heard the story of the time that um, the um, the singer actress playing Tosca <laughs> threw herself off and there were so many mattresses there that she bounced back up? Do you know that story? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is it true? Do you know if it's true or? Um, um, some some people even say it was a trampoline. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> I'm not, it's probably not true anyway. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that could be right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's Tosca at the Met, and I'll have a there link are, to the- There are more performances this, uh, this spring, so... Yeah, the, uh, the crazy, um, <laughs> crazy schedule at the Met. I don't know. It's, it seems to say that there's only one left. There's a... March, oh, really? March 12th. Oh. March, March 9th and March 12th. There's two performances left in this production from the met website but they yeah, do no, have a that's they, right yeah because they did it last uh last. they did it a few days ago uh and then they did it uh, last night and that's how they do things you know because they uh yeah because singers can't sing eight and eight a sure, week sure, you know? sure. so they they break them out like that yeah broadway would never do eight a week that's crazy uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. just crazy stuff all right so um that is Tosca at the Met, and as I said, uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So in the news this week, uh, we had a, a few passings of note that we wanted to talk about. First up is uh, Ned Eisenberg. He uh, passed away. So, uh, Michael, any words to say about Ned? Well, people are very, very sad about it because he was a very, very nice, very sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to meet him a few times. Um, he uh, went to the High School of Performing Arts, and I had other friends who went there. So I think I met him through that uh, method uh, once or twice, but then also after shows that he was in. Um, his Broadway credits alone are uh, The Green Bird, 
uh, Awaken Sing, Golden Boy, Rocky, and Six Degrees of Separation, the uh, 2017 revival. I remember when Ned was in Rocky, uh, one of the reasons he was so thrilled to be in it was uh, because it was at the Winter Garden. (laughs) <laughs> and mm-hmm. he just loved playing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was uh, he, but he worked constantly in TV and film. And if nothing else, uh, you probably know him from Law and Order, uh, he, on which he played a defense attorney in multiple multiple sh- uh, episodes. Um, so he really was great. Uh, Danny Burstein worked with him in Awaken Sing, and he he wrote about him uh, the other day on Facebook and how sad he was and what a loss it was. I think Danny said that they were roommates, uh, dressing roommates <laughs> uh, for Awake and Sing. Uh, so yeah, he he was a really great guy, uh, all too young, um, born January 13, 1957. And he had apparently two major illnesses. Um, so he- Really? He fought mm. them valiantly. And his wife um, wrote something heartbreaking about how he continued working even after he really should have stopped just to keep up his ins- health insurance payments, uh, mm. you know, and, and so he could continue to provide for his family. Mm. So really, really, really a great loss. Mm. Uh, we also had the news that Tony Walton had passed away. So, Peter, any remembrances of Tony? Uh, <clears throat> only met him once. Um, I, I, I would like to add about Ned Eisenberg, though, that um, I, I remember very vividly in 2009 when he was nominated for uh, a Lucille Hotel Award for playing Iago in Othello. And John Douglas Thompson, who we recently saw in The Merchant mm. of Venice, was playing Othello. And at the party, he said to me, hmm. Boy, you know, I hope John wins because, I mean, after all, sometimes people are really impressed by the fact that Othello um, has fewer lines than Iago, that Iago was really the, um, the, the bigger role. And he said, I hope they don't take that into consideration. He said, one of the reasons I took the part was because I knew John Douglas Thompson was going to be in it. I had seen him in shows before, and I just thought, whoa, you know, being so close to him on stage, I'd be able to learn so much from this actor. And I thought that was really terrific, both perceptions, that um, he really wanted John Tung- Douglas Thompson to win, who did. Who did, and um, and the fact that he really wanted to study this perform um, this actor and how he worked. So um, I thought that was really terrific. Tony Walton never met him. You know, one of the things that I, I feel bad about is that while everybody's been talking about Tony Walton, Tony Walton, Tony Walton, and I understand that, I feel bad for Emma Walton. I mean, she lost mm-hmm. her father. Yeah. You know, and I, I I don't see that anywhere in all these uh, remembrances. But in terms of Tony. Um, His first design was for Once There Was a Russian, a play that lasted one night, one night on Broadway in 1961. Then it became a musical, a Frank Lesser musical. The guy wrote Guys and Dolls and How to Succeed with a book by Bella and Sam Spiewak, wrote Kiss Me Kate, with direction by Bob Fosse. I mean, does this sound like a winner or what? Um, It closed in Detroit. I mean, so many musicals run much longer. Than the plays, um, My Fair Lady ran longer than Pygmalion, Dolly more than Matchmaker, Chicago more than Chicago, if you know what I mean. Um, here's an example where a play that ran one performance ran longer than the actual um, musical version. And, you know, 
Maybe it's because they used Robert Randolph for those sets. And they didn't use Tony <laughs> Walton. Maybe that's the reason why. No, he was amazing. Even though he hadn't worked on Broadway for a while, it really has been 14 years. Now, I don't know if that's because he was not well or just had other fish to fry. But one of the things that I really regret um, in my theater going time was the fact that uh, when he did the apple tree, uh, the first act of the apple tree takes place in Eden, and he designed an Eden that supposedly was a knockout. But the problem was it knocked out the actors. Mike Nichols, who directed, said, I can't see the actors on this set. The set is just too elaborate and wonderful. Now, um, so they threw it out and they did a very simple set with a ladder and little things like that so that you could deal with the actors. And, and that's great because the actors were indeed Barbara Harris, Alan Alder and Larry Blyden. And they were all terrific in the show. But here's my point. There it was in the Schubert Theater in Boston, where, of course, I was living um, in Boston. And um, I wish... I had known about this because I would have loved to have at least gone into the alley where they were throwing out the sets and seeing exactly what they uh, resembled. <laughs> you know, funny, Sam Norkin, um, who did a book of um, his drawings, he, he was a caricaturist, um, actually did a drawing before they left town. So you can get a hint of what Tony Walton did from that caricature. But it, what was really great about Tony Walton, so many of his sets were so elegant elegant, uh, especially Grand Hotel, um, a simple set, which really was uh, based on the fact that they were trying out, um, they, were, they were workshopping it at the Hotel Diplomat, I think it was called, no longer in existence, um, on East 43rd Street, maybe, um, no, West, just just uh, near between um, 5th and 6th, I think it was, and um, but the, the tail wagged the dog there, but you'd never know it because the set was just simple but glorious, and um, he was very good in going from straight play to um to musical and uh really uh quite a talent but my condolences to emma walton hmm. that's a very good point i i didn't even think about that but uh now that you bring it up it, it is interesting yeah, yeah i i mean for what it's worth i i posted about him and and i definitely mentioned her and of course oh, did you um, oh good and of course his first wife julie andrews yes julie yeah. Andrews, yeah you know because they remained very close did they <laughs> See, I yes. didn't know. That's why I didn't bring that up. Oh, yeah, know. yeah. He oh, that's um, wonderful. He designed that boyfriend that Julie directed at uh, the Bay Street Theater. Oh, I remember yeah. when that happened. Yeah, yeah. I had I was he, luck. Go did on. he work on that uh, on, on the book that Julie and Emma came on Broadway Bearded to talk about? Um, yeah, I think so. And that and actually that was my my uh, one of my other points. Uh, I I was lucky enough to have a few encounters with him over the years. The first time was when I was working at In Theater Magazine as managing editor. And I um, I can't remember what the specific connection now, but I got him to write an obit for Patricia Ziprot. Uh, and he was very lovely about that. He really loved her and wrote something wonderful about her. And then a few years later, um, yes, uh, before Julie's own autobiography came out, um, some years before that, there was another bio, a, a bio that someone, some other fellow had written, uh, which I thought was really good. But um, uh, I got to speak to Tony about it somewhere. And uh, he said, uh, well, that guy didn't get all of his facts straight. <laughs> uh, so I did. I didn't. We didn't get into it. But uh, <laughs> um, and then I think the last time I, I saw him was down at the National Arts Club. He was down there for some reason. And um, I got to speak with him and I mentioned to him that I had seen his production that he directed of the importance of being earnest. 
at the Irish Rep with Nancy Marchand. And I said how wonderful it was to see her on stage. And I, I said uh, it was one of the last things she ever did. Maybe it was the last thing she ever did. And I know I knew that she was not well at the time. Uh, and so I told him what a privilege it was to to see her. And I was so glad that that he cast her and that she did it. And he said, well, it was very difficult for her, he said. Mm. But the cast, you know, just every everyone was so behind her and just really rallied. And it turned out it just turned out just wonderfully. Um, so he was another uh, him like Ned Eisenberg. Uh, apparently nobody has anything bad to say about them. Mm. Uh, just really lovely, lovely person. Uh universally beloved and so so talented if you only if he's another one of those if only people if he only had designed posters <laughs> for broadway shows uh just look at the ones he designed mm. and you'd say oh my god <laughs> uh it, it was enough for a, a career in itself but in addition to that he was a great production designer and um and then in later years i think uh a, a really wonderful director. Uh, so really multi-talented, multi-talented. So other news uh, this week, we have the news that uh, the Broadway Court Theater is going to have a new name, the James Earl Jones. Uh, so Peter, tell us what this means for us. <laughs> Are you trying to get me to tell my James Earl Jones story? <laughs> is that what you're doing? <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, uh, Sure. Yeah, <laughs> because I you had said that you had told it, and I really can't remember it on air. And I went back and I looked. Even if uh, so, I think it bears repeating. Yeah, so you could tell your James Earl Jones story, sure. Well, first, I would like to say that I would have preferred a James Earl Jones uh, theater being um, the Long Acre mm-hmm. um, or uh, the Broadway. Um, because after all, um, court was named for a gentleman and, um, I hate to see our theatrical history, um, thrown away. So as a result, um, the ambassador would have been nice too. anything where, um, they have a generic name rather than, um, an actual person's name. So, uh, John, John court, you know, worked hard. So anyway, but. We're very glad that James Earl Jones got a theater. Now, the story involves the time that um, I was working the red carpet at the Tony Awards, which is a very difficult job because they pack you in like crazy. They literally have a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper with your name on it. <clears throat> and believe me, I'm too wide for eight and a half by 11. So you're <laughs> squeezed in and you are trying so hard to get the attention of everybody who's passing by. It is so, so difficult. And of course, um, a lot of people would prefer to talk to the young women and the young men as, uh, and the young women and the young men would like to talk to the celebrities as well. So it's very hard for an old timer like me to get anybody's attention. But then I saw James Earl Jones with a a very demure um, uh, white woman. And I said, oh, right. That's right. He married Julianne Marie. Julianne Marie was in the musicals Whoop Up, the notorious Whoop Up. Uh, Do I Hear a Waltz? Uh, The revival of the boys from Syracuse. Um, uh, Foxy. Also Gypsy, right? uh, Yes, right. Um, As a replacement. Yes, yes, indeed. 
So anyway, I thought this is great. I'm going to be able to tell the wife how much it means to um, to me that I and to her, you know, it'll make a nice impression. And what I've learned along the way, not that I plan this, but what I've learned along the way is if you're nice to the spouses, the uh, spouses really appreciate it. The other spouse um, really appreciate it. Um, two examples. I mean, Sheldon Harnick um, remembered me uh, because one of the first things I said to him was, how's Marjorie Gray, uh, whom I had seen in Tavarich. Uh, they were married. And um, and he says, nobody asks about Marjorie. Oh, thank you so much. Um, at a dinner once, Doug McGrath, <clears throat> who did the marvelous screenplay with Woody Allen, Bullets Over Broadway, and I think the show suffered, the musical version suffered because indeed he did not uh, work on that. Um, but he had a show that year called Beautiful, which did awfully well. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we're at a party and I'm sitting next to his wife and um, and he's sitting next to her. So she's in between us and I'm talking to her and we really got along. We had a very nice time. And at the end of the night, he said, thank you so much. Thank you for talking to my wife. Now I don't have to hear all the way in the way home. Nobody wants to talk to me. The other <laughs> one, they only want, they don't want to know me, you know, that type of thing. So I said, this is is great. You know, I'm going to get James Earl Jones attention because I'm going to be able to legitimately praise his wife for being in Foxy and do I hear et cetera, et cetera. So she comes up to me and I take her by the hand. I said, Julianne Marie, whoop up Foxy, the boys from Syracuse. We remember. And she said, that was the first wife. Well, <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, um, I know he didn't really play Darth Vader, um, but the look he gave me was very Darth Vader like, you know, so my my hopes of getting James Earl Jones to talk to me for minutes on end uh, really were dashed at that moment. You know, so that was the end of that. Um, but that said, one the, we all have theatrical regrets. We all have things that we missed. And um, the one that I missed um, inexplicably uh, I was living in Boston, granted, but, you know, I did see shows during that period of time. It was The Great White Hope, uh, which was one that really put him on the map and certainly uh, got him a Tony Award. And then, of course, he did the movie as well, which uh, got him. A, I think he got an Oscar nomination. Um, so but he was a man of the theater. He always came back to the theater. Yes. And that was really wonderful. Yes. You know, I mean, so. So, it, uh, yeah, while I expected the first announcement to be uh, theater for Paul Robeson, I have no quarrel with this. And it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly the Drew Jamsons and Nederland now step up to the plate because it was announced that each organization was going to name one of its theaters after an African-American. And I would think that because the Schubert's got the jump on this, we're going to hear very, very soon from the other two organizations, what theaters will be renamed, I would think. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about uh, about that part of it. Now, some people are wondering and hoping that maybe this change of name will change the fortunes of the court which had sort of become yeah. known as a house of flops. Well, um, you know, it's always hard for those shows on the other side of Broadway. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 In fact, it's really interesting in the season. Um, William Goldman talks about there's only one theater on uh, 48th Street. And um, yeah, and of course, there was um, uh, the court, you know, so um, he, he the one he alluded to was uh, the Longacre. And um, because at that point, um, the um, what is now the Walter Kerr Theater was dormant. Mm-hmm. So uh, so even he forgot he forgot the, about the, it. the court. <laughs> yeah. So it uh, but it is true. I mean, um, the diary of Anne Frank was there, but you can't find many more that were big hits. Um, <laughs> uh, it. Uh, uh, we should mention for those who forgot or don't know that this will coincide with a major, major renovation uh, 
Oh, oh yeah, that, yeah. That the court is currently, or the yeah. Thrones mm-hmm. is currently undergoing. Uh, so between the renaming and the major renovation, uh, you know, maybe there will be uh, a change in the fortunes of the theater. Supposedly, yeah. by the end of the year, it will be ready. Supposedly, you know, you know, construction. Who can say? So earlier today, uh, I was talking about Ken Davenport, and then we got sidetracked, but uh, I was going to lead into this that uh, announcement that Will Swenson is going to uh, play Neil Diamond in a Boston engagement mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. A Beautiful Noise. And yeah. as uh, uh, Peter, as our leading Boston correspondent, <laughs> uh, so tell us, uh, are, are, are we excited? For, do, you, do you think that the Neil Diamond thing has an overemphasized uh, place in Boston? Will it make it in New York? Well, uh, I wonder if one of the reasons they're going there is because a Neil Diamond song is really yeah, the theme of the Boston Rex. Yeah, yeah it's oh, the theme I'm of the sure. Boston Rex, yeah. which is so bizarre to me. How how does a, <laughs> a woman's name in a song become a, a theme for a baseball team? I, you know, I, it makes no sense to me. But um, and uh, you know, I haven't. I've, I've lived most of my life in New York now. Um, it was only my first thirty years that I was in uh, Boston, so um, I don't know as much as I used to. But I wonder how much that figured into the decision to go to the Colonial Theater in Boston. But I'm delighted to see the theater get a booking because um, it's really been a hard luck theater even since the it reopened with Moulin Rouge because of course the pandemic uh, hit, and bookings have not been uh, plentiful. So I'm very and, and remember there was a musical version of uh, Magic Mike that was supposed to happen there and it didn't. Mm. You know. Plaza Suite was there. Um, and so Bostonians really got to jump on that one, you know, because uh, here we are. It's in previews now. But um, but I wonder how much that figured into it. Let's go to Boston because um, they like Sweet Caroline. I have no idea. But I'm very delighted to see the Colonial has a booking. It's a favorite theater of mine ever since I was first in there to see Irma LaDuce uh, when I was a teenager. So um, so I'm glad that it's coming there. Neil Diamond, I know beans about his uh, song catalog, I have to admit. You know, I mean, if it's not a Broadway show song, I don't really know it, but um, jazz singer. I can't believe a jazz singer hasn't come. Never to Broadway, saw that. You know? Never saw that. Yeah, never saw yeah. that. But yeah, that's true. Uh, there have been musical versions of the jazz singer. I know there was one in Metuchen, New Jersey, some years back. So, um, so who knows? But anyway, I wish it well. You know, our friend Stephen Rinberg, of course. Uh, does his Barbara Streisand show constantly. So he's very uh, proprietary when it comes to Barbara. And he said something like, um, I wonder who's going to play Barbara in the Neil Diamond musical. He said, unless they leave her out like they did from the Donna Summer musical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that uh, Ken Davenport is from the Boston area. And oh, is that right? I, didn't know I, that. I think he's from the Boston area. And I think that uh, there's a special place in his heart for neil diamond boston and his father or something like that oh really okay uh so i wonder and didn't uh moulin rouge come through the colonial or was yeah, it somewhere yeah, else indeed yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so they have uh, a handful of you know um hits come like uh bananas in bunches mm-hmm. well now peter I, I would think you would know the lore you know as much as anyone are you saying that you don't know why uh sweet caroline became right uh I in don't. the first place mm-hmm. No, yeah, I've never heard. I um, mean, uh, presumably we can. There must. Oh be yeah, I'm sure. I, it, it's nothing that's really kept me up nights. So I mean, yes, I'm sure a, a little googling would uh, solve the uh, problem. But nevertheless, uh, I just um, uh, haven't haven't been that interested. Now I guess I will be. So yeah, <laughs> uh, Peter, you also mentioned a uh, little theater in Jersey that did the jazz singer. Uh, we have coming up uh, soon the Bridges of Madison County with. Uh, 
with Kate Baldwin and Aaron Lazar is going to be at the Oxford Road Performing Arts Center. Michael's going to head out to see it in a couple of weeks. Are you going to head out to see it? I, I may very well go because um, I've, I've known Alan, Aaron Lazar since he was in uh, college at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, um, where um, his impossible dream really stopped the show um, when, of course, he was doing Man of La Mancha. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, just that I'm going on uh, towards the end of the run. It's not a long run. I'm going on Thursday. Yeah. They have a Thursday matinee performance. I don't know what. what oh, that's nice. Hmm. Uh, uh, so I'm going on Thursday, the 24th, and I'm really looking forward to it there. Did you guys see um, they put out a video, a rehearsal video of Kate Baldwin and, and uh, Aaron yeah. rehearsing? Yeah. And then uh, and then not only uh, Bart Shadow is also in the show and uh, Hunter Foster is directing. Directing. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. really uh, it's, it's and I, I love that show to begin with. Um, and the casting sounds absolutely Wonderful. So I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, this week, uh, as we mentioned last week, Patty's been out with uh, Mm -hmm. a a COVID infection. She seems to be fine. She's been reporting on on social media that all is good. But uh, Jennifer Smart's been in her role at Company on Broadway. And and all reports are that, uh, of course, what we have known all along is that Jennifer yeah. Smart is a star mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, people should be lining up to put a vehicle in front of Jennifer Smart, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, even after her disaster on Broadway, which is not, was, wasn't a disaster, but the name of the show was disaster <laughs> and it was disaster on Broadway, but she was which, not a disaster. She was which, wonderful that. Yeah. She got a Tony nom. She never, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how much of a, not, a, not a disaster. She yeah. Was. Right. I tell you, you know, um, uh, moving on, uh, Ariana DeBose uh, won a SAG Award, and uh, Matt Tammany has also announced that she will win the Academy Award. So I hope so. We'll we'll see that coming up. But but I, I'm seeing you know more and more people watching West Side Story on the streaming services. Uh, a lot and, of people said that's exactly what would happen. It seems like yeah. everyone is seeing it now, and Good. everyone is loving it. Will this be the first? If indeed she does win, will this be the first time that? Uh, somebody repeated a role that had already won an Oscar? Excellent question. I think so. I can't recall hearing anybody else doing that. Um, uh, maybe uh, people who know movies um, better than I, and that's virtually everybody, will be able to, uh, to tell. But um, uh, I can't recall ever hearing of uh, it happening. So that would really be history, too. And by the way, James, I did tell my foster dog, Anita, that she is not in for her Academy Award. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, I don't want to jinx us, but last week's Broadway grosses were really, really good. That's right. You know, we only have a handful of shows open, so it's hard to compare it yeah. uh, week against week and year, year yeah. over year. But. Yeah, but the Broadway League put out uh, the grosses, and uh, a new metric that I've not seen before is, uh, you know, basically uh, how many um, how many performances there were in that week. It's because we, since we have dramatically less amount of shows, about half right. of the Broadway uh, houses are full right now. We still are reaching the eighty percent, eighty-two percent range in the Broadway grosses of tickets sold. So that's also a really good thing. And then we've had a, a rash of a number of, of, of announcements that of things that are coming to Broadway. A new play called POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, mm. which stands for the President of the United States, is going to come out in the spring. But sometime in April, with a May opening 
so it doesn't look like it's going to make the Tony cutoff. No, but no. Um, but I thought that was interesting. We have uh, K-pop that's going to talk about coming to Broadway in 2022, which was the hit off-Broadway uh, musical, a new musical uh, by uh, being produced by Blair Underwood, six eight eight eight, about an all-black, all-woman army battalion that is aiming for Broadway. We have a new Aaron's and Flaherty musical called Knoxville. It's, it's uh, debuting at the Oslo Rep. Uh, we have a country music uh, uh, country musical with uh, uh, written by Dolly Parton and Casey Musgraves getting pre- premiere in Nashville. We have uh, Sarah Silverman's Bedwetter coming to Off Broadway very soon. So we have a lot of really good things uh, on cue. I think uh, we're mm. heading back. Yes, yes, indeed. And um, that POTUS show has a subtitle. Or behind every great dumbass are seven women trying to keep him alive. <laughs> so some of those women are names we know very well. Lily Cooper, Leah Delaria, Julie White, Rachel Dratch, um, uh, Vanessa Williams among um, the uh, women. So uh, there are two making their Broadway debut. We'll see how they play out. But uh, nevertheless, that looks like a very strong cast. And um, yeah. and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a limited engagement. Um, but of course, has there ever been a limited engagement? engagement uh, that doesn't want to be um, an open run. So who knows? Um, it's going to be at the Schubert Theater. It's, Schubert's been rumored to um, be taking in uh, Cinderella, possibly. Um, but uh, uh, they'll move or uh, Cinderella will go to the Imperial or who knows what. But nevertheless, um, let's hope for the best for POTUS. Speaking in more ways him. than one, by the way. Yeah, mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of Vanessa Williams, this Thursday, a reminder is the one night only concert of Anyone Can Whistle Mm -hmm. at Carnegie Hall with Vanessa Mm -hmm. and Santino Fontana Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Stanley, who was our guest Mm -hmm. on the podcast last Mm -hmm. week. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure um, that there are probably some tickets at least still available if you'd like to go that because how often are you going to get a chance to see anyone can whistle, especially with a cast like that and a full orchestra? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, for those who can't quite make it to New York, uh, Great Performances uh, is returning mm. with Anything Goes and Merry Wives and uh, Keeping Company with Sondheim. Uh, we have lots of stuff coming on PBS, uh, as well as uh, Lincoln Center's Intimate Apparel is being yes. report- recorded. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is all good for there. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our musical moment and trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. If you want to get a transcript to this or any show for, from Broadway Radio, you can email us at transcripts at Broadway Radio and include the name of the episode. Um, that way we can send you out a Microsoft Word file of the transcript. And please try to be specific with the episode we get random things you know. <laughs> send me that thing about miss saigon and yeah right yeah we have you know we have 43 <laughs> different episodes with miss saigon in it so yeah so uh peter do you have an answer to last week's trivia you're riding in the passenger seat of a car 
and you notice a strange sound coming from the front of it. The driver says to you, I can't figure out what that sound is. <laughs> you respond by giving a line that was heard in Wichita's one and only burlesque theater. What's the line? Well, it's Mazeppa's famous line from Gypsy. Maybe there's something wrong with your bumper. Although in the musical, it refers to something quite different. Juliet Green was the first to get it. Mostly, she admitted, because she's played Mazeppa. She was followed by Paul Witte, who should have been first. After all, he lives in Wichita. Well, maybe it's all for the best that he doesn't know much about the city's one and only burlesque theater. I'm sure his wife, Michelle, prefers that or demands that. Anyway, then came Isaac Blevins, Sean Logan, Brigadude, Josh Israel, Jay Aubrey Jones, Steve Bell, Mike Meany, Robert Lobiondo, and in last place, dead last, Tony Janicki. Oh, how the mighty have <laughs> fallen. <laughs> this week's question. If Michael Bennett had stayed with his first impulse, the three performers who would each win a Tony for a chorus line would have had something else in common. But that didn't happen. Explain. Okay, if you can explain, mm. <laughs> email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We will let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, I think this is something new in the musical moment, isn't it? Uh, our musical moment has been inspired by a, an email from a listener. Yes, yes. Richard Wargo um, wrote us a note to say, I wanted to call your attention to what well may be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity the chance to hear the entire score to Fiddler on the Roof featuring John Williams' glorious 1971 film orchestrations performed by an excellent student cast from the University of Michigan with the spectacular 70-piece Philadelphia Orchestra conducted by Andy Einhorn. Uh, he, wrote, he continued writing, in fact, it was a Broadway radio interview with Mr. Einhorn some months ago that brought this program to my intention in the first place. So I guess uh, we get points for that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Richard also wrote, wrote, I've just driven back to Northeast Pennsylvania from Philadelphia after seeing the opening Thursday night performance. There are two more chances to see this extravaganza Saturday, March 5th today uh, at eight. And uh, I'm sorry, last night at eight and Sunday, March 6th today at two. So unfortunately, um, it's going to be too late if you haven't because uh, by the time you hear this, that'll be open over. But um, he wrote, it's a must see uh, and must hear for any fan of Fiddler or John Williams. What a thrill to hear the palette of these those rich or arrangements performed live by such a grand orchestra. Um, so uh, we may have missed that, but I thought we would, uh, you know, pay tribute to this by including some cuts from the soundtrack of Fiddler uh, as arranged and adapted and conducted and orchestrated by John Williams. Um, the uh, we're actually uh, our opening music uh, was actually the finale and uh, you can hear how wonderful that is. But in addition to everything else, it opens with a uh, violin solo by Isaac Stern, mm -hmm. who uh, aside from being one of the great musicians of the 20th century, um, was also, uh, as we've discussed before, instrumental in saving Carnegie Hall uh, from destruction uh, at the point where it was so close to being demolished that it literally had the 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 tape paint, you know, put onto the windows 
uh, that's how close to the wrecking hmm. ball it was. And although although he didn't single-handedly save it, uh, he was the major force in that. And if it wasn't for Isaac Stern, there would be no Carnegie Hall as we speak right now. Michael, do you uh, remember what was supposed to happen? Uh, what they were tearing it down for? Oh yes, you can see uh, you can see renderings of the unbelievably ugly red hmm. red blocky skyscraper that they I were see. going to put there. Wow. Uh, so anyway, uh, but you know, so even if he had, all, if only he had done that, he would, he would be immortal, but he mm-hmm. also just listened to his recordings and his, uh, his many recordings uh, as a brilliant violinist with many orchestras. And he, he was just a towering figure. Uh, and it's so, I've always loved it that he's on that soundtrack uh, in addition to the, just the brilliant orchestrations and and uh, arrangements of John Williams. So that's our opening music, and then the uh, the uh, our closing music is actually what's called the Entract uh, for the film, which I think has been added to the expanded soundtrack. Uh, it wasn't on the original release, uh, the L- original LP release in 1971. Even though um, that. Uh, that soundtrack was was on two LPs. Yeah, that's uh, right. When it didn't really need to be, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. but I think that you know it was two LPs and it was a gatefold and it was a mm-hmm. really big deal. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm sorry that we all missed um, this concert in Philly, but I I'm strongly suspect that that won't be the last we hear of uh, of of these um, you know these uh, this recre- recreation of the orchestrations uh, that John Williams has done. I, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear it in New York at some point, and I'm going to be there for that. I'm telling you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.